Honest to God, I cannot imagine what goes on in your lumpish, sexually ambiguous heads. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Becky, you may be right. We may be crazy. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you dare. Over my dead body, will you inexplicably shoehorn in another Billy Joel song just to punctuate one of your weekly lessons that inevitably veers off into a saccharine barrage of angst and affirmation? episode of Billy Joel A to Z as today we discuss it could be argued Billy's rockinest if that's a word song ever the first song to kick off Billy's quote rock slash punk album is the song entitled you may be right released on the Ides of March 1980 as the first single off of the album and a bona fide hit that made its way up the charts all the way to number seven on May 3rd, 1980, where it remained for two weeks. It could not beat Blondie's Call Me. But at least we can be okay with that one, right, right Alon? I mean, yeah, at least we've heard of that one. Yeah, we can make a case for that one, and that's still a popular song. Some of those songs and groups he couldn't conquer were ridiculous, like The Streak, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But of course... This was all a setup so his next song could go to number one and it's still rock and roll to me, which, if you remember, had to beat out his heroes, Sir Paul McCartney and Sir Elton John, to do so. How about that? Uh, This song is such an enduring, popular rock song. It's normally the final encore song. He plays at every single concert now. In 2014, he performed the song live from the Barclays Center in Crooklyn across the country as a live feed into New Year's Rockin' Eve. Thank Thank you, Ryan. Happy New Year, everybody. With that really awesome guy, Ryan Seacrest. Man, he's so rocking and cool. That's what you think of rocking when you see Ryan. Yeah, I like how you used the word rocking at least 12 times already. Yeah, it's fun, right? The rocking is song of all time. <laughs> well, it is an incredibly catchy tune. 
that everyone knows the lyrics and can sing to. You May Be Right appears everywhere as it is the opposite of Erased from Existence. It appears on Greatest Hits Volume 2, 2,000 Years the Millennium Concert, 12 Gardens Live, Live at Shea Stadium, Live at Yankee Stadium, even the re-release of Kreplock. And get this, a never-released duet with Elton John at the Meadowlands with Dave Jusko in attendance in July of 94 on the My Lives compilation album. Finally, something decent, or at least new, on that stupid My Lives compilation album. Unlike the last two songs we discussed, this is one of Billy Joel's favorite top five songs he's written. Like, he he likes this song. It's so popular, even the Chipmunks did it on their punk album which is only fitting since Billy ripped them off with his album, Cold Spring Harbor, a decade <laughs> earlier. Thank you. Yeah. It's been used on Glee. The Office was the theme for the CBS 90s show Dave's World. However, for some reason, being sung by Southside Johnny, just the, again, the bosom buddy situation. What, I don't know what the hell the problem was, but whatever. Guess when the last time we spoke about a song on this album was. Oh, man. It's probably in the T's. Well, that's true. But guess how long how ago. long ago was that? Oh, man. So let's say summer 2022. Oh, you're saying a year and a half ago. Yeah, I'm saying exactly a year ago. Oh, January. Okay. I, I overshot it. Yeah, yeah, you overshot. I, but but you were right there. I mean, it was that long, and it was through the night, through the long night. Sorry, uh, really, a whole year. Unbelievable. January of twenty twenty three. It also we, feels like a very long time since we've done a bona fide Billy Joel hit. The one before that was "We Didn't Start the Fire," but yes, it's been few and far between. Uh, with as we get later in the alphabet, so this is an absolute classic, Alan Altman, but. Where do our newspaper friends place You May Be Right, one of Billy Joel's legendary catalog hits? And may I say, you may be surprised. (laughs) Ah, interesting. Well, I'm wondering what would surprise me about it. Now, we know Bananos is not into the sound effects, and this song starts with the glass smashing, which maybe he won't like, but maybe he doesn't care because it's at the beginning of the song. It's not really part of the song. This is one of his uh, better songs, I'd say. Uh, I'm not my favorite of his hits, but I think these guys will generally like it a lot. But I'm not going to go super high. I'm going to say 17. No, no, that's the problem. He 
I don't you're you're right on the first part. He's has Christopher Bonanos has it at 58. That's surprisingly low. That's surprisingly low. Good straight up power pop song. Even rode my motorcycle in the rain is a pretty dumb line, which pulls it down on the list. And it loses a couple more points for the repeat and fade. So, um, yeah, I don't know what I, I can't believe it. That's one of the more shocking Christopher Bonanos takes I've seen so far. Agreed. Glenn Gamboa puts it at the proper place where it probably belongs at 25. And he says, what would happen if Billy Joel fronted the Rolling Stones? Well, we get a vivid approximation here, especially on the original version, where his delivery crackles with nervous energy over blues rock guitar riff as he concedes, I may be crazy. The fans rank it at 13. Mm. That makes a heck of a lot of sense. Listen, even Dave Juskow knows this one really well. I I was hoping, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I love this song, and I think about it a lot, and it is kind of like the moving out where everybody, really everybody knows these lyrics. You definitely, everyone knows the first three lines. Friday night, I crashed your party. Saturday, I said, I'm sorry. Sunday came and trashed me out. Just trashed me out again. Is that what it is? Yeah, trashed me out again. Trashed me out again. (laughs) I mean, but that's great. And everyone knows those first lines. And then when you're there and you're singing it and he's doing it, you even realize how much more you know as well. It really is a fun song. It's It's a good sing along song and it does move and rock and it's it's a really great brilliant way to start off whatever your plan was for this type of album with this song yeah it totally encapsulates what the album is going to be which is fun rock music um it is kind of funny because like the album is a lot of new wave kind of rock you know he's trying to go with like what the new styles are later on in the album but this one like Glenn Gamboa said is sort of a Rolling Stones type song which is a bit more of the old guard of rock but that's the thing about Billy Joel he could hit all these different types and he does a really really good version of just a straightforward rock song here yeah and I'll tell you how cool this is and how this song has stayed as a as a popular song for people we we know they do it on tv and we know a lot of people like this as a billy joel song nobody when if again when you complain about oh i don't like billy joel because because of we didn't start the fire or something like that nobody complains about this song everyone loves this song everyone thinks it's cool and great whether you think he's cool or not it's a great song and here's how you know it's cool also in 2018, that's only a couple of years ago, the Foo Fighters did a, an amazing rock, a real rocking version of this song. I mean, they know how to rock for sure. At MSG, when they were there, to pay homage, knowing full well they were in Billy Joel's house. Now that's respect and cool. Yeah. And I mean, you wouldn't expect them to play Souvenir or something, but this, uh, well, they, they picked have. this because this is the rock song. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. Right. This is one that the a, a band like the Foo Fighters can completely sink their teeth into, which is why, of course, I get so angry that for some reason, Garth Brooks enjoys butchering this song to death every time he performs. <laughs> well, the thing is, like the Foo Fighters, of course, this fits them because when Billy Joel wrote this song, he was thinking actually for the whole album, he wanted to write some big arena numbers because he had been 
playing bigger stadiums now or, or, you know, arenas for a couple of years. And he realized that his more heartfelt songs don't really get the crowd moving. And so he ended up writing this song, which, like you said, is now pretty much like always the final encore song. It is his best arena number that he saves till the end. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. We are talking. So this came out in 1980. So 40, 40 years later, it is still the song. Wow, it's just so amazing. It really is the power of the way it has just endured over the years and that people still love it. And, you know, unlike, thank God, not leaving the the venue with uh, where's the orchestra or souvenir. I mean, this yeah. is this is the way you leave a concert. This is it. This is the right thing to end on, which, of course, is hilarious since the album begins with this song. But it's also just a great song. I've been stranded in the combat zone. I walked through Bedford style alone, even rode my motorcycle in the rain. I mean, these are iconic lyrics that everyone knows, especially even rode my motorcycle in the rain. I mean, what's the guy's name from Christopher Bonanos? Christopher Bonanos can complain about that line, but we love it. It's great. Yeah, right. This song has so many lyrics that are fun. Those ones you pointed out are some of my favorites. Stranded in the combat zone. That just sounds so cool. Like He makes some really good word choices here. Calling out Bed-Stuy, which if you don't know, if you're not from the New York area, is just a very dangerous neighborhood of Brooklyn, especially back in 1980. This would not be a place for a five foot seven uh, little Jewish guy to be walking around. <laughs> <laughs> Probably very tipsy in the middle of the night. And uh, yeah, I guess riding your motorcycle in the rain is dangerous. I'm not well, a motorcycle you, guy, but that sounds like a bad idea. Well, you know, that happened to me about six, seven months ago. I was taking those little motor scooters, the Revels, that now they don't have them in the city anymore. And I actually rode through Bedford Stuy. Or no, it was Bushwick. I, I ended up in Bush, I I was lost. And I ended up going to around Bedford Stuy in the rain on the motorcycle. I named my podcast that week. I rode my motorcycle in the rain <laughs> and it was that song was going through my head the whole time. It was very exciting. And and the, the other thing about this song is I remember as a kid when it first came out and how much I really loved it. And the fact that it was about a girl. I mean, remember how I found you there alone in your electric chair. That part I never understood still don't yeah but i told you but obviously it's somebody who's just kind of waiting for something i told you dirty jokes to you you were lonely for a man i said take me as i am because you might enjoy some madness for all this is this was my i'm like yeah 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 come on because there's so many girls that you know and i'm sure he was dealing with this we're like no we're gonna be friends i'm looking for something else and then he's yeah. and and that's what makes this song or something more stable and he's like look i'm crazy but maybe that's what you need Exactly. And I'll of course, admit, I might be a little off my rocker, but deal with it. It'll be fun. Well, you know, Dave Juskow was saying this for sure at this exact time when he's, you know, around the high school age. I mean, this definitely spoke to me. It's perfect. And it was cool and awesome. And this just made him, I was in love. It was like one of the first songs that I knew about Billy Joel. Yeah, for me too. I can just picture this as a song, one of the few when I was a kid. And I didn't know that many Billy Joel songs, but this one always stood out to me, like songs like this and Big Shot. I mean, it's always what I like the most about Billy Joel, these ones where he's got a bit of an edge to him. Uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to this guy calling himself a lunatic, calling himself crazy. 
uh, it gets it's just really uh, relatable to I think most guys. Yeah, and I I think I like this one better than it's still rock and roll to me, which went to number one. But I guess it's still rock and roll to me is more of a mainstream one that everybody can get on board with. But this one really is a nice. A, a nice rock song that your mom could listen to. It's very delightful. What's surprising <laughs> about this one, though, not only did this one not make it to number one, but in the UK, it failed to chart. Yeah. How does that well, happen? He, he had a string of hits. How does this song not resonate with the UK where they love the Rolling Stones? I feel, and I'm not positive about this, so in the history of Glass Houses and Billy Joel, they released All for Lena first, I don't know whether it was in England or Japan. I I think it was in England, and and that could have been the issue, is that for some reason they at least offer Lena first, not here, maybe over there, mm-hmm. and that could have been the issue that they're like, well, this Billy Joel's had it. Now, I mean, obviously we love all for Lena, but it's possible that if you're listening to my life, and then you hear all for Lena as the next album, maybe you're turned off. I I my guess is that's the issue. Yeah, that's probably it. Or the program directors were like, we're not playing his next song. That last one was weird. Right. Obviously, it didn't go anywhere. But they count that as the first release before the album was released. This song was released pretty much the day the album was released, which is which is odd also, because normally they release a song a couple weeks in advance, maybe even a month in advance. But I guess they tried to do that with Arfalena releasing it overseas first and it didn't chart very well. So they were probably panicked, but then the next song they released here in the States made it to number one. And that happens a lot. Well, I guess it goes off and on. Sometimes, you know, you release a song first, that's not your best just to, you know, get the waters tested. And that's exactly what happened on this album. The Mm -hmm. second song technically released officially went to right to number one. However, on the flip side of that, you look at Stormfront and the first song released went directly to number one. But that's modern, rare. Modern Woman. That didn't go to number one, but yeah. Oh, that's that was, on uh, that's the bridge, right? Yes. But yeah. that released that was released uh, a month in advance and it did Direct go to, to number, number 10. 10 <laughs> but he didn't have a number one off that album. And I don't know why. It's full of great songs. Ugh. That album almost kind of pisses me off besides Modern Woman, which is the greatest song ever. Well, everyone knows that. <laughs> One thing that that album is missing, of course, is Richie Kanata, who is killing it on this song with his fantastic saxophone solo right after Dave Brown does his killer electric guitar solo. I really like how those two solos kind of like meld into each other and then goes right back to the song. It's a nice little tight instrumental break here. I wonder if it wasn't 1980 if you have a sax solo on this record. Well, you probably don't because right after this point, Billy Joel said like he basically got rid of Richie because he didn't want to have to always have a saxophone in his. Oh, okay. I was going to say it, it kind of ruins listening to it again and really getting into it today, sometimes forgetting how great this song is. And then the sax solo comes in. I'm like, I don't think you need a sax solo here. So that makes sense. All guitar. Yeah. Yeah. You did. Yeah. The Rolling Stones wouldn't have had a sax solo. Yeah, but Bruce Springsteen would have. Well, yes, yes, but he doesn't do it anymore now that Clarence is gone, I guess. So he's not uh, all in on that. But I, but there you go. You you fire the guy that's like, well, look, I don't want to have sax solos anymore. I feel bad. And then and I'll feel bad if he's here. because I want to write him a sax solo. Yeah. But that was a thing that they were doing back then. 
where everything had to have a goddamn sax solo. I don't know what the hell happened in the 80s. Like I said, teaching a class on it now, maybe I'll get some sort of reasoning as I go along with my students and we'll figure out, Professor, why did they used to do so many sax solos in the 80s? Well, children, I we're, we're going to figure that out together. Uh, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> they were lazy? I, I don't know. It's like the saxophone industry just had a really big hold on everyone. And they were putting a <laughs> lot of money into things to like lobby everyone. You know, maybe you should have a saxophone here. Yeah, it was probably. Bill uh, Ramon was getting payoffs from the It was the already Rip's industry. idea. It was already yeah. Rip owned a sax company. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> make sure you use the Rip sax. It's the best sax there is in the world. Everyone uses Rip saxes. Yeah, you'll notice uh, that clip I played actually on the Cold Spring Harbor one. It says already Rip. <laughs> yeah, we finally hear his voice. It was. Uh, Exciting. What a douchebag. <laughs> Speaking of producers, uh, the great Phil Ramone on this one. I don't know if you saw there's on YouTube. Uh, this guy, Piano Lover 2006, posted a minute of footage like from the actual recording session of this song. And so Billy's standing, holding the mic, doing the vocals. It sounds like it's the one that was actually used for the album. It sounds just like the real take. And then they keep showing Phil Ramone and he's super into it and like laughing. He's not dancing like we like to see him, but he is laughing know, along. Man. And Billy has said that this album recording was sort of the most fun for him in the band. They all loved the music. They had a good time doing it. And Phil Ramone is at his Phil Ramone best. Phil Ramone was talking about the glass breaking effect, which, of course, is another brilliant. Yeah, we don't like the sound effects either, but that was a great way to start off the album. All glass houses and then found out. out, out. I mean, that is yeah. a great way to kick off the album. It's 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 up there with the the two uh, train horns or whatever work horns for Allentown. It's uh, it does get you excited, and it is funny even if you hear it on a jukebox and you hear the glass, you're like, oh, oh, oh no, here it comes. So he said it was so difficult. It took a lot of effort to achieve the shattered glass effect. He said we wanted the kind of sound. He's quoted as saying this. We wanted the kind of sound that comes when a large plate glass window breaks and there's a split second delay between the crack and the entire sheet crumbling to the ground, which clearly they got perfect. So they placed sheets of glass on cinder blocks, smashed them with hammers, but none of them produced the right sound. And so then he was about to throw like a few five gallon jugs of drinking water down a stairwell because he had seen. <laughs> an engineer do that to get a glass breaking effect but he said the glass was too thin so then because they were trying to achieve what they call a blood curdling shatter so he needed to suspend the panes of glass that were more than a quarter inch thick so then the next day he ordered apparently the correct glass that was a quarter inch thick and when it was delivered he placed a piece of, uh, over two wooden horses and smashed it from above. He says, I miked the hell out of it. There were microphones all over the studio, above, below, to the right and left sides, far and near. It took nearly 30 sheets of glass, and the best-sounding take came on the last piece with one crack of the hammer. And then he says, the time and expense was worth it. The harrowing glass break we captured gave glass houses the perfect kickoff it deserved. I feel like they spent more time recording the glass noise than Cetetois. I was going to say, I feel like they recorded more time filming the glass noise than the bridge. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably so. I always thought that the glass breaking noise actually came from Billy's cousin's, uh, his cousin Rivka's wedding. You're making they, that up. They, yeah, I, I, the story was that they mic'd up right underneath uh, her husband's foot when he did the glass smashing, like at any other. Jewish Wait, is that? Wedding. Are you telling a true story? Or are you making a, a hilarious Jewish joke? It was supposed <laughs> to be a hilarious Jewish joke, but I kind of stumbled through it. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so It'd be funny if, if, it, if there's glass breaking and then you hear Billy go. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. <laughs> and then the song starts. You'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> that was a Jewish good. album. <laughs> Just the way Paul Lauren made all those Christmas songs, Jewish songs. <laughs> yeah. And then perfect. this song, instead of you may be right, I'd be like, you may, you may be right. You I, may I, be you know, right. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I maybe can't you're, say you're wrong. Not right. Who knows? Exactly. Don't ask me why. Awful, <laughs> Elena. <laughs> that one just stays the same. Billy, you're driving yourself crazy. I'm sitting here. I'm watching television. My my old man's watching the tube. You're sleeping with the television on? Do you know what that's going to do for our electric bills? Turn it off. <laughs> you can make a case for all of these. That's yeah. fantastic. Listen, okay. if you're going to visit Israel, don't stay close to the borderline. It's very hairy right now. <laughs> hey, you turned that bit into something okay. All right. <laughs> so, Alon... I'm going to assume there's never been a lapse of him not playing this live from 1980 to 2023 and on to 2024. Yeah, basically, there's probably been a couple of shows here and there. Let me this... well, let me guess the number, you know, because you always say this is the 10th rated song or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to take a chance. Maybe number three. You're very close. This song is number four. Wow. I was. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's never he's probably played this. He's probably never missed a show with it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't go uh, show by show because it's so ubiquitous. Oh, of course. Right. Point. No. But he has played it 801 times. Wow. Only has played Piano Man, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant and Only the Good Die Young more frequently than this song. I'm, I'm surprised about the Only the Good Die Young, actually. Yeah, so that one, uh, well, it's a little bit older, so that's why. I, oh, right, right, I guess. Okay, because I would think this would have usurped it because it's yeah. such a crowd pleaser, such a crowd pleaser. I mean, this is definitely an encore song. It is definitely up there with uh, the weird We Didn't Start the Fire and Uptown Girl. Just uh, this, the one thing I got to say that Billy Joel completely seems to get as we make fun of his never changing anything is definitely the encore he he knows he does know absolutely what the public wants on those those four songs at least or did i just say three but i think there's a fourth one in there oh only the good Day. no he plays only the good Day young lots of different he doesn't do that as an encore song anymore right so uh, one of the i'll tell you what the what the classic encore is right yeah now, which he well, me, so we didn't start the fire. Uptown girl you may be right what am i missing so after uptown girl he goes to it's still rock and roll to me Oh, then he yes. goes to Big Shot, and then he goes to You May Be Right. Okay, so he's got two two so songs song off encore. of this album uh, on the encore. Two songs off the album. Well, why yeah. not? You're, again, two number one hits, and he refuses to fucking play Teller about it. It drives me nuts. How can your encore not be all your number one hits? And what's wrong with that song? What? Why is he so angry about that song? Who knows? At least he likes this one. Let's just live with that. Yeah. 
So I was looking at like when he plays the song in his concerts and when did it start becoming the final song of the encore? And that seemed to happen somewhere in the middle of the residency. So it's been the last several years. Early in the residency, he was doing it second to last and closing with only the good die young. Hmm. So he flipped those at some point. And uh, other times earlier, if you go to earlier concert tours in the 90s and the 80s and the early 2000s, he would sometimes close the set before the encore with this song. And no matter when he put it in, it was always near the end of a set. He never would put this somewhere early. He knew this was kind of a closing number. Yeah, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. It's so fun and so good. And it used to be more fun. If you look at the live versions online, in the early days, he would be at like up at the microphone doing all his frontman moves and going absolutely insane. The first live version I saw was live in Houston, 1979. So this is before the album came out, but after he recorded the song. And the crowd does not know what it is. They're basically just dead because they've never heard it before, you know? But yeah. Billy is going all out, balls to the wall, all of his crazy antics. He's jumping on the piano. He's doing crazy, like, mic flips. Uh, someone in the crowd hands him a rose. He puts that in his mouth. Someone else put, hands him a hat. He puts that on his head. There's all, all these things are happening during the song. And then there's a the live in Long Island. Have you seen that version? The like, no. 1982 concert? That's a really good one, too. He's, again, just all out, completely wild, just going nuts. And at that point, of course, everyone knows the song by then. So the crowd's in it with him. Well, what I like is in that actually in the New Year's Rock and Eve version, there's like an extra piano part to it that I really like. And I don't know who's playing. I don't know whether it's Rosenthal or I guess it's Rosenthal on the keyboards. A little addition to the song that I think makes it really work live well. And that goes in uh, in the instrumental break or just somewhere? No, else? no, just in the song itself. Yeah, so he's giving it some more flourish to it. Yeah, exactly. A little more flourish. That's it. The Kreplov version, live in Russia, is interesting because, again, he's going nuts. The crowd's into it and all that. But at one point, he's standing near the crowd and a girl is tying his shoes. <laughs> I, I guess his shoe is untied. So he just stands there for a little while while she does a nice little bow for him. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Which is very symbolic of our two cultures coming together because of Billy's concert. Yes, it sure is. Right. And uh, so now whenever he plays this song in the encore, what he usually will do is go into Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. So the song gets near the end. Then they play about a minute and a half or so of Rock and Roll. And then they go back to the outro of this song. Yeah, I hate it. I hate that. <laughs> I like it because it makes the concert longer. And I love Led Zeppelin. So why not? Yeah. But also I now when he plays it, he sits at the piano, which is kind of sad because in the old days, this was always one of his most energetic numbers. And now he just sits there rotating while the rest of the band is up doing fun stuff. I actually prefer that. I didn't like all his uh, going around. It just didn't. It's just, it, he's awkward and he shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it's to, he's not, he's not that kind of musician. It's, I know he needed to do that. And that, that's why this entire album came to be to play arenas and jump around like Steven Tyler and stuff. But it, it, for me, it doesn't fit Billy Joel. Yeah, I know. Like, and, and every line, he does that thing he always does, where whatever the line is about, he has to like mimic what that thing is. So when he gets to the to the line near the end where it's um it's too late to fight, he starts punching the microphone stand and <laughs> having it like fall back on him, and he punches it again. That's incredibly lame. 
Yeah, so it's a little <laughs> lame, but I like to see that he's just like really into something like that. I do too. I like it in both ways. <laughs> it's like it's lame, and I also enjoy it because he's a nerd. He's a geek. We've talked about it before, and that is the fun of Billy Joel. Yeah, he's a nerd rocker. Now there is one other live version which we haven't talked about, and this one just happened a couple days ago. Alan Altman went down to Nashville to see our friend Paul Warren play piano at a nice little bar. And during that performance, Paul played You May Be Right, and I got up there and sang it with him. Probably the most definitive version of all time of this song. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. That's great. Why'd you choose that one? I was thinking, so the thing that I love about this song is I think it's the one of the easier Billy Joel songs to sing. It stays in a certain register of voice that's good for someone like me. The lyrics are not that complicated. Uh, so it's just it's just like a really good karaoke Billy Joel song. Mm -hmm. And the crowd knows it, so it's a crowd pleaser. It has certain moments that are fun, like right near the end after the instrumental break when he goes back into like the you may be right, but says it at a higher register. That's fun to hit that note. So it was it was really fun to do it with Paul, uh, who, of course, kills it on the piano. Yeah. So I hope you guys like it. Ah, great. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? I do. Alvin and the Chipmunks were around before Billy Joel, 1958 to be exact. So when Billy ripped off their sound in 1970 with his first comedy album, Cold Spring Harbor, thank you, the Chipmunks were pretty upset, but enjoyed the publicity. In 1983, they returned the favor by using two more of Billy's songs off of this album. What is the album I'm referring to? Okay, so... Well, I assumed it would be Glass Houses. I don't think you heard the crap. I couldn't have made it easier for you. Okay, do it again. Say it again. In 1983, they returned the favor by using two more of Billy's songs off of this album. Okay, so is it An Innocent Man? Yes. Okay, see, I was just thinking they weren't <laughs> so on the cusp of what was hot at the moment, and they probably were a couple years behind. Uh, yeah, no. So they, I mean, obviously they did do a version of this, but then they also did a version of the longest time. And well, what do you think off that? What would the chip town girl? Exactly. With the chipettes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got them all right. Out. I'm a big fan of the Chipmunks. 
Who isn't? That movie was something I watched all the time. For real? The one with Dave Cross? No, no, no. In the 80s, there was a cartoon one. The Chipmunks oh, okay, and Chipettes. Okay, gotcha. They go around the world trying to save like a baby penguin uh, or something. Okay, I was going to say, uh, weren't you too old when the Dave Cross one came out? You little sissy <laughs> boy. I was... <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Dave Cross was in three of them. He did all three movies. If I ever meet him, I'm going to say I loved your work in the yeah. Don't. Movies. I'm telling you right now, do not do that. <laughs> Is he a hothead? No, he just. It's not a good way to meet him. Okay. I'll, <laughs> you know, I want you guys to get along. I'll say Arrested you know? Development. He's my favorite. Just say you're my friend. Start with that. And then he'll definitely walk away. No, no, this will work this time. <laughs> you know sometimes it doesn't sometimes it does but yeah uh, yeah don't don't use the chipmunks movie as your intro like i did with uh which nobody seems to know uh, uh dan dan uh what's his goddamn name dan the, the guy who plays cousin matthew in uh downton abbey dan natterman no not dan Natterman. the very gorgeous dan something or other who and i the first movie I, oh yeah from beauty and the beast he's like well i was in a lot of makeup for that he was the beast so yeah. <laughs> i suck <laughs> he's just so good looking i couldn't i couldn't I, I was stumbling he was so goddamn attractive <laughs> so alan what is your trivia question for me well i have two questions the first one i thought maybe it would be too difficult and so then i came up with a, a slightly better one impossible to, i'm a billy joel to... aficionado well they're not that much about billy joel the first one kind of is so these have more to do with the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood, which is mentioned in this song, and wow. about famous people who were born there. So the first question, is Billy Joel related? What singer-songwriter who inspired Where's the Orchestra was born in Bed-Stuy? Neil Sedaka. You almost got part of it right there. Neil Diamond. No, but that first, that Neil noise is in this Ralph person's Sedaka. last name. Oh. Uh, Neil. Neil's Lofgren. No. Neil... Kevin Nealon. Okay, getting closer. Neil Armstrong. I'll just tell you. Harry Nielsen. I never. I, I still have no idea who that is. Yeah, you would have had to remember the episode that we talked about that part of it. So that's why I came up with a second trivia question. This yeah. one's comedy related. Right. Okay, this question is. Two very famous African-American comedians were born in Bed-Stuy. One of them starred in a TV show which has the other one's last name in the title. Who are these two big comedians? Warren Hutchinson and Greer Barnes. <laughs> you nailed it. Wow, that was amazing. I had a feeling I would get it. I told you I'm a comedy aficionado. Uh, Reggie, no, Reggie McFadden. You don't know him. Um, Dave Chappelle. I don't. So Keith listen to the Robinson. Question. What? Listen to the question. Okay, first of all, they're 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 mega famous. Okay, oh. so think that realm. So Kevin Hart, one of them was in Heart to Heart. What? Well, yeah, that's sort of okay. So yeah, because one of them <laughs> starred in a TV show that had the other one's last name in the title. I, I got nothing. Okay, so one of them is Chris Rock, and the other one starred in a TV show with Rock in the title. I, I mean, it's not everybody hates Chris or, but. Oh, third rock from the sun. John I got Lithgow? it. Go. Where's no. the ding ding? No. Oh. No, no. Um. Huh. That's not it. Rock. E. Is it Apollo Creed? 
I'll, yeah, I was telling you, I, I think we're not going anywhere with this. Yeah, I, I have no idea. What okay, so the show about. is 30 Rock, and the person is Tracy Morgan. I have misplaced my pants. Oh, no. Are you sure he's from Bed-Stuy? That's what and, the Wikipedia says. And I'm only saying, because when we first used to know each other, he always told me he was from Harlem. You know what? Maybe he just said the projects. Because he kept telling me, he's like, this is amazing. You know, I'm from the... The project, maybe he said the projects, maybe he said the project. So maybe it is Bed Stuy. He just kept telling me where he was from all the time. I'm like, I get it. And then he would say, I'm going to make you pregnant. <laughs> uh, no, not to me at least. So you're saying Chris Rock is from Bed Stuy, and then Tracy Morgan's from there, who started in a TV show with Chris Rock's last name. Yeah. All right. It was a well-formed question. You it was a horrible question. No, it, was it was a very, horrible question. Where mine was smart. so easy, made, tailor-made for you to get instantaneously. Unbelievable. Right. We'll agree to disagree. Not getting the same respect. All right, Alon, this should be a fairly easy one, one would think, for a parody. A very easy one. This is good. We all know the melody. I, I can't imagine you could mess this up. <laughs> well, I might. I don't know, but let's see. All right. So this is weird. I mean, the only way you could mess this up is if it's about scones. <laughs> I didn't go there. Thank you. I went I went a different direction. I probably should have gotten scones. But okay, so my parody of You May Be Right is called A Pillow Fight. <laughs> and picture this as something happening in a raunchy teen college comedy movie that you might have liked from the 80s. Okay. All right. Friday night, I crashed your party. All the girls at the sorority. I hid in the closet and tried to spy. You were talking about boys and your favorite sex toys. But I sneezed and then you screamed, it's a guy. I said I must have gotten lost. You told me that you'd call the cops. I said, wait, I got something I must say. I was only having fun. Please don't call 911. Can you punish me in any other way? A pillow fight. They hit me in my head. Oh, and it hurt because it was that heavy memory foam. They turned out the light. I thought that I was dead. They knocked me round with their goose down this pillow fight. Hey now. Well, I was wrong. You found a way to mess it up. Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm sure when Paul Lauren plays, it'll be awesome. So I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like this one, for some reason, a food parody was the way to go. And, <laughs> and I'm just like of all the ones I said, I'm going to go away from food. And now you're telling me I know. Isn't that funny? I don't know why I got nothing. Well, I'll tell you, my original idea was going to be about a dog bite. No, that would have been worse. You're right. And it was going to be something about, like, your dog just bite. Now I have rabies. <laughs> well, there were a couple of good lines. I call 911 and stuff like that instead of I was all having fun. I don't call 911. So there's a couple of good uh, zingers in there. But uh, it is what it is. And thus ends Glass Houses. And the final hit from Billy Joel's career. <laughs> alphabetically that's right. that's right 
Well, folks, that was You May Be Right, the last song on Glass Houses. So that means, yep, once again, we've got an album wrap-up next week. Fun one. Yeah. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Do you like this song as the closing number at a concert, or should Billy try opening a show with it? Ooh. Do you like Billy's stage antics, or do you like him doing this at the piano? Do you hate this song as much as Chris Bonanos, or are you with everyone else who thinks it's a classic? <laughs> right. And should I have sung this parody as the Chipmunks? <laughs> Clearly. Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Jeskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Don't you make-